wait till they get a load of episode five of opening weekend the movie podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other great american pastime going to the movies with our friends coming soon this summer at theaters everywhere Opening Weekend. Read it R. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa, and tonight we're going to party like it's 1989. George Bush was in the White House visiting his dad after a hard night of partying on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Roseanne Barr had the number one TV show, Richard Marks had the number one pop song, and at the movies, Ghostbusters 2 held the record for the number one opening weekend of all time, a record that would stand for a staggering seven days. That's right. Tim Burton's Batman rolled into town on June 23rd, 1989, and broke every box office record in sight, and along for the ride was Disney's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which did very well for itself in its own right. As for me, I was performing stand-up comedy on Long Island and preparing to graduate high school and begin this podcast's origin story at Hofstra University. But Fred and Dan, what were you guys doing on June 23rd? 1989. Yeah, I was 15 going on 16. <laughs> I was very pimply-faced at this point. Uh, I had joined the bowling team, which was really... The ladies loved me even more than they did before. I think we should just stop the podcast right there. Let's just we- leave it at that. I joined the bowling team. Thank you. Good, Good night, night, America. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Growing up in Jersey, it's the bowl. You have you have two choices: join the bowling team, or uh, you know jump off of, jump off the Palisades because the 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 bowling is a religion there. You better be on the goddamn bowling team if you were want. Were you a good bowler? No, I was terrible. Are you kidding? I was awful. Um, and yes, I was in the band. I played the euphonium. Good night. Oh my again. god! Why? You're just asking for trouble. I was the editor of the school newspaper. It was it was a it was a mess. It well, was a, a nightmarish mess. The what editor? are you talking about? There were two things on my mind at this point: movies, 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 and somehow getting any one of the female persuasion the least bit interested in me. Why would I choose all of these these forays and endeavors into? Were you? The well, ladies I was not acting. You were, no, you I acted in, we had a senior play at my high school, and I acted in that. But this was several years before that. Did you? Were you guys acting yet at this point? Oh yeah, I was. Yeah. Well, because I was about to. I mean, I literally was about to start Hofstra in the fall as a drama major. So I had. I hadn't acted outside of high school, but I had started in high school. So Is this, this was when my you're senior. Doing Tevia? Are you doing Tevia yeah. at this point? <gasps> yeah. This yeah, is right. <laughs> right after I did Tevia. Oh God. And did the Those. ladies love that? Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I, it is I a very always, sexy role. I always tell this story. I, I, I you know, it's, it's, mm, I shouldn't really tell this on the, uh, one of my first sexual experiences, like true, like, like really, oh yeah, that counts. You, you check that. That's an actual box to check you off. You got a hand job one, dressed up as Tevya? Mm, better. Better. <laughs> 
Better on both counts. Better? Let's put it oh, that way. Miracle of miracles. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't to, I didn't have to have the costume on, and uh, you know, and uh, it was it was a little more. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, let's Gold just say during yeah. during the cast party at uh, at the Chicago Pizza Pub is what they called it on Long Island, the Chicago Pizza Pub. Yeah, I um, you know, and I didn't have a car at the time, oh, um, so I literally got the kid. <laughs> this this young lady was um, sh- showing some attention to me. This is one of the first <laughs> first or second times that happened in my life, and I went to my friend. He had this yellow Hyundai, and I was like, I was like, I was like, oh my god! I was like, Ray, give me. I need your keys. I need your keys. And he's like, why? He's like, you don't drive. I didn't drive yet at this point. And that's just that I didn't have a car. I didn't have my license. I was like, I just need a place outside of the pizza pub to go with this young lady. And and I I always like to say, you know, and then magic occurred. And I was like, wow, this is the power of acting. You know what? This this was a a summer because I started, I was hanging out with uh, some older kids. Um, some kids who were in the theater department who were older Ruffians. than me. Uh, yeah, and Bad they, 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 influence. Were, they were showing me the way they started to introduce me to, like there was this one kid, Bill Muir, who introduced me to Scorsese, and I remember I watched Taxi mm. Driver with him for the first time, and, right. and just being around with these older kids and their sense of humor, and it was very cool. They were all very much sort of like mentors to me, and so that that was... That's really what I remember about this time and going into that summer. And so a lot of the movies I saw, I saw with the, with those guys. Hmm. So yeah, yeah. And and I similarly, I'm a little only a year younger than you, Fred. But similarly, you know, starting to figure out what kinds of movies I liked at this time mm-hmm. beyond you know the Raiders and the Star Wars and the big adventure films, you know. But starting to be aware of Scorsese and start to starting to be aware of even things like Monty Python and and oh, yeah. you know yeah. we're a couple of how many years away are we from Tarantino? Not many, right? We're, we're mm, just five. Before, are five we that years. many? Oh no, 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 not from Reservoir, from Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Yeah, like two or three. Yeah. Yep. So so you know the indie film spirit is starting starting sort of starting to come in, and you're starting to. To know who maybe uh, a Jim Jarmusch is, or you know, pe- people like that, as uh, you know, in these years before college, and then by the time we get to college, it's like indie films are the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Independent films, right? We watched Reservoir Dogs together at your place in Jersey. I remember, Dan. I think that's right. We, we yes. rented it. Yeah, because we right. heard about my it. dog humped you when we were exercising. There was a moment when my dog. <laughs> Wait a second. I remember this vividly. When we were when exercising. exercising. There's so many things wrong with that. We, we were shirtless in the living room. <laughs> I think we were doing arms you were, steel. You were doing push-ups on me, and the dog came over. We, we were, were doing exercising. We were doing Gilad's arms of steel. Remember Gilad? Oh my God, Gilad Jaiti. Oh. You're and we did oh, arms yeah. of steel and my little dog my little black dog smidgen got very excited because fred is very good looking has and has arms of steel and started <laughs> humping him and i was like smidgen down i forgot about gilad we loved gilad oh. he was very big in the, in the late 80s early 90s very big turn inwards turn Watch what the fist is doing. So I introduced you to tarantino you introduced me to gilad <laughs> i think that's a fair trade it for tat I was working at a video store that at, around this Were time. I was you? working at a, I, I was about at, to start working at a movie theater. That's so cool. Yeah, I started working at a, a, a small video store. Um, it was most of my junior year and senior year. It was called The Video Connection in East Northport. <laughs> and it was great. Any older movie, 
I could rent those as often as I wanted for free. And I must have watched This is Spinal Tap about 50 uh, times while I worked there. Hmm. One one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest I took out a million times. Wow. Uh, the Godfather movies I might have had at home. But I mean, there was a lot. When you talk about like your kind of the things you were getting into and how you started yep. developing your taste mm. aside from the blockbusters that we would go see on the weekends with friends and stuff it was it was in that video store like being like oh i've heard this is good let me try this you know and and that's really uh, you know we'll we'll find out very soon i have a deep abiding appreciation for jack nicholson but that's kind of where that got you know i had seen bits of the shining and we're gonna make a new rule whenever i'm in here you hear me typing whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? I had seen a couple yeah. things on TV when I was younger, but then I just, I got into him in a big way and I just, I was constantly renting his stuff. It was always, if I had a movie from there at home, there was all, if I had three movies at home, one of them was a Nicholson movie all, wow. all the time and I would rotate through them. So what do you think? Women, a mistake. Or did he do it to us on purpose? Because I really want to know. Because if it's a mistake, maybe we could do something about it. Find a cure. Invent a vaccine. Build up our immune systems. <laughs> Shall we move on to the, the films of the week? Boys? Why not? We're here. Uh, let's, let's start small. <laughs> no pun intended. See what you've done there. <laughs> with, with, honey, honey, <laughs> hey, hi, hi, yeah, could you, you can sit if you want, you don't have to sit, but I, um, oh, I have a little... There's a little something to tell you. Um, this is already way better I, uh, acting than anything in the actual movie. <laughs> that is a better uh, title. Let's just. I'm just. I'm just going to come out with it. I shrunk the kids. Yes, honey. I shrunk the kids. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Last Frontier. Dad can fix us, right, Nick? Ah! Sprinklers! Ah! I'll tell you their size. It's a jungle out there. Ah! Did. You report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? Honey, I shrunk the kids. We're all the size of boogers! Rick Moranis is Wayne Zielinski, just your average 9-to-5 scientist developing a shrink ray in the attic. When his children, along with the neighbor kids, sneak into his upstairs lab to retrieve an errant baseball that has crashed through the window, his heretofore unsuccessful creation kicks into gear and miniaturizes the lot of them. When Zelinsky returns home, he destroys the device, which he thinks is a failure, and dumps it in the trash, throwing out the kids along with it. Now, his diminutive progeny and their friends must survive the journey back to the house through a yard where sprinklers bring treacherous storms and garden-variety ants stampede like elephants. Benefiting from 1989's generally robust box office and, in particular, Batman's success that same weekend, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids made $14.2 million opening weekend, ending up with 130.7 million dollars domestically and 222.7 million worldwide fred and dan 
What did you think of, honey, <laughs> babe, <laughs> baby? Um, oh, you know, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been working very hard to provide for you and the. I, but, oh, I don't even want to mention the little people that. Well, the, the littler people now they're littler than they were. But, okay, the kids. I'm talking about the children and Jesus Christ. I I, I shrunk them. I shrunk them. The kids, our kids, and the neighbors' kids. I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I thought you should know, hun. What did you think of that movie? <laughs> Well, oh um, you know, it's, it's, I, you got, I didn't see it when it first came out. Uh, I watched it a couple of days ago. Yes. And it's definitely, it's a kid's movie and which is not a bad thing. Uh, I, I, I didn't love it. I'm going to be honest because, and, and I think the reason why is because it was, it was geared toward kids and that's it. And that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing at all. And I think we're very used to movies nowadays. They make there's so many great kids movies that also have sort of an adult sensibility to them oh, as yeah. well. So right. they realized, hey, if we can get the kids and the adults to like this, so much the better. We're gonna get people are gonna keep coming back and watching, and that's more money for us. Um, and this was not that. This was, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe if I no. if I saw it back then, but it, it was really geared towards little little kids. Um, you know, I, I, I yeah, it, it was. There, there were some fun parts to it. I thought. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're so right when you say when you say it's geared to kids and only to kids because I think of I think I mentioned earlier just in passing. Like something like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from when yeah. we were very, very small. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that was a movie that was playing to both audiences simultaneously. Yeah. There's a wit yeah. to it. There's a there's something that appeals to to adults as well as kids. And that is what all the great, you know. And and I think also the Disney, the Disney um, imprimatur, if you want to say that. Like when you see nowadays, we see Disney's blah or Disney presents whatever. Right. And there's something about it that you. You sit up and you say like, oh, well, this is at least this is being, you know, this is this has been made a high degree of craftsmanship or like, you know, they're at the top of their game right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the 1980s, late 80s, it was not. It wasn't a great time for Disney. This was right before Little Mermaid and the whole animation renaissance. The Renaissance, the Disney Renaissance. Which which is like six months later. And then certainly it's before Pixar and all of that. So at that point. And and even like live action Disney movies, though, that wasn't like really a thing at that time. So it, hmm. you know what I mean. So it was because um, I I was watching it and I was thinking, why doesn't this l- even just look better? Even if it's a just a kids movie or whatever, it's not right. geared for me. I thought it would be more of a spectacle and a, a little more um, either that the uh, effects would be more advanced feeling or something even about eighty nine. Even for eighty nine, though. I didn't think it, they were that um, fantastic. Part. I mean, I thought it was. I don't know. What did you think, Dan? What's your feeling about well, it? Well, I, I enjoyed it. I, I also saw it um, uh, just a few days ago. I had seen clips from it. You know, the famous clip of them all going off the dog's nose and him sure. eating, about to eat the kid through the through the Cheerio and, and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. 
gotta keep our eyes open. I enjoyed it. I thought it was um, what, what I really liked was was and I wish they had done this more. And I know what you both are saying. I wish they had done more of this. But I liked feeling that the kids were actually in peril. You know? Well, it's and it's, they didn't go whole hog with that. Yes, and I wish they had. That, and that's what yeah. it, it's interesting that you because that's what I thought too. Because and maybe because I'm I'm older now and I have children. I don't know, but like mm-hmm, when they mm-hmm. first got zapped, and Rick Moranis is in his anger. He's he doesn't realize and he's destroying the machine. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah. oh my god, that's fucking terrifying. These yeah. kids are going to be stuck here forever, and they didn't play that. And I guess they could they they couldn't go that far with it because I, they I, you know it, it seemed like they were they were making like an old school nutty professor type feel movie um, you know they, they and, and, flubber. I, and I and yeah. flubber right and I kept thinking oh it would be great if they really played more you know the, the reality of the situation I mean how real is it these kids are getting shrunk but but they never really seemed that terrified there was nothing too scary right. about it but again it's a kids movie so how scary can you really make it the thing that also is missing for me which I thought was sort of a missed opportunity and maybe would have made me feel a little bit more is they they kept playing up this whole thing between the parents and you know that they were sort of like these absent parents, and mm-hmm. Rick Moranis and his wife. You know they were sort of yeah. She's sleeping each at other. the sister's house or whatever, yeah, <laughs> and then like and it's th- almost like oh, is this is this a couple headed for yeah, divorce? And none, yeah, none of, yeah. none of that That's what really. It, feels like. it, it never really paid off to me. Um, no. you know, and, and I, th- it's I fixed I, with a phone call. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah. of of the wife, I just want to, and and I think you're, you're of aware of this, Jason, but I think this is going to bring back and just staring at Dan's hair again, uh, in its magnificent Gabe Kaplan uh, state. Thank you. I, I think this is. I, I mean, I think at this point, every single episode, we've had some sort of Gabe Kaplan reference. At, at least half of them, and now we're definitely moving into a majority of the episodes. Yeah, if we, because if we have not already, we've mentioned Gabe Kaplan at least twice. Last week, um, when we talked about Battle of the Network Stars and other things, um, and the week before, when oh no, two weeks before, when we spoke about Cliffhanger and, yes, Gabe, and the right. name Gabe, oh, right, Stallone's characters name i don't know if we mentioned gabe kaplan at all during the ghostbusters gremlins week but we should um, have we really we should have. we, we know, probably should have we'll, we'll, go we'll, back, we'll go back and listen we'll go back I know and re-edit it <laughs> we'll just throw a gabe kaplan thing but but this one is too obvious because i'm i'm watching this i'm going why does she look familiar to me and mm-hmm. then i realized she's the wife that Marcia we spoke of Strassman. last week yeah that's right I yeah, love her marcia yeah. strassman wonderful. wonderful actor yeah wonderful julie ever tell you about the time i went to visit my uncle mo cotter in the hospital no why don't you tell me about the time you went to visit your uncle Mo Cotter in the hospital? The uh, you know the the moment when you, you talked a second ago about the moment they get shrunk, you know, and uh, uh, the the we're talking about the peril that they're in, and then it quickly it quickly goes away. I mean, obviously, you know, the kids are going to be okay. Yeah, you know what I mean, because it's it's a kid movie and it's a Disney movie. But do you think that they were? I mean, the Disney live action stuff tended to be pretty vanilla i mean and it and it tended to be on television when we Mm -hmm. were growing up yeah and now with disney plus you know i don't mean to make this a disney plus commercial although they are paying for this podcast i'm kidding we we get no money from disney plus or at least you two don't um but the great thing about disney plus (laughs) is that you can watch you know 
the apple dumpling gang and the computer wore tennis shoes and Be- uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. All the ones that we grew up watching Escape on from TV. Which Mountain. Escape from We just watched Escape from Witch Mountain. It's so funny you say that. We just watched that. You know, and you watch those movies and they're very, there's never any true, true peril, right? Yeah. For, and that's what kids, this was, yeah. For the kids. And this felt like that to me. Yeah, and you know, but and, and I direct- wanted them to be in peril, like desperately. Absolutely, <laughs> there were times when there were, and I was like, "Oh God, I'm really scared." And then they quickly go the other way, and it's like, "Okay, we're just going to be silly now." But that's what I mean. You answer your when you guys say like, "Well, you know, because it's a kids' movie, you know, the kids are going to ultimately be okay." You right. know, it's not like something where, "Oh my God, could this be the end of Little Timmy?" <laughs> no, uh, because you know that, then you almost can ramp up the peril because you know, you know, just. To make it a, a thrill ride, just to make mm-hmm. it more like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, you know, because you're never really afraid of that. But like the idea that there's one ant in the backyard <laughs> is, you know what I mean? Like as soon as they had, as soon as they come out of that garbage bag and they look into that dense wilderness, I actually thought, you know, I found it a little, the idea of it was frightening, right? The same way when they shrink and he smashes the machine and you're like, yeah. oh no, there's no going back yeah. in in the short term. Like, yeah. you have that innate, even as an adult, you're like, oh shit, they're they're screwed a little bit. And I, you think the backyard, you think of all the bugs in your, just, even oh just God. worms and grubs, even, it, not, not necessarily something Apparently that's going they to... they had one ant and a scorpion? <laughs> a one scorpion. ant. <laughs> one ant, a scorpion, and a, a bee, one I bee. Yeah. was going to come out in the next <laughs> yeah. And Medusa's head. It is. It's very Harryhausen, right? Those effects yeah. are very yeah, kind of. Uh, you get some good stop motion. Yeah. Some pretty good but stop I just motion. Know, where yeah. the hell did the scorpion come from? No, it's funny because I was I, as I was watching, I was taking some notes, and I wrote, and I'm looking at one of the notes now. I wrote, "Kids are nonplussed." I'm filled with anxiety. <laughs> yes, I really absolutely. was. I was like, "Oh, what is?" But the kids were like, "Eh, whatever. It's fine." And the parents are pretty nonplussed. You they know what I mean? They, they, have, they, they have a little sort of a fake argument. They go to sleep. They go to bed, and yeah. they wake up and have breakfast. Oh. You would be losing your mind. Yeah, the yeah. mom's I like, oh, "I'm just worried that. about my babies," and he's like, "Come on, let's just—they'll they'll be fine." Let's yeah. get some sleep. And then she's like, I'm, I'm just worried about her out there alone all night with the teenage boy from next door. <laughs> that I'm like, was the most ridiculous part. It was that like, you've got to be kidding part. me. They better behave themselves. I but, think that's all in service of that same thing, like not wanting to create too much of a sense of peril or anxiety. If the parents good. are too worried, then the whole thing becomes, quote unquote, not fun or something. Yeah, absolutely. But, for, no, but right. for an adult, but for us watching it, all we see is the wild gaps in logic. You know, right. I mean, and, and right. now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Rick Moranis here because I think kind of the, the biggest travesty of the movie is I, this is the only movie I can never remember seeing Rick Moranis in where Rick Moranis was kind of boring. He doesn't <laughs> say or do anything funny really he's he could have been anybody yeah it could have been anybody and i think it it seems kind of soul crushing to know that like it's like god this brilliant comic mind is just no and hey he deserves to cash a check too but i i kind of always thought i always kind of assumed well he must be a goofier character a goofier funnier dad but it's not really it's kind of like his bid for it's not leading man status, but in a way it is. I mean, he's headlining a movie, which is rare for him. And of course, sure. the way for him to be a leading man is kind of to be like, you know, 
a, if you're a scientist, if you're, you know, sure, if you're a little geek, bit of a nebbishy, yeah, yeah. a geeky scientist, but you yeah. don't have to play the geek, which I'm sure in a way is refreshing. He just wants to be, you know, the Fred McMurray. I'm just the dad, the Disney dad. I, exactly, maybe he, yeah. Disney maybe dad, he enjoyed yeah. that, Disney but, dad, but it, yeah. it seemed like a, an odd waste of him. Yeah, I agree. He doesn't really have anything funny. He doesn't have a funny comic showpiece other than... I think the moment when he's there's it's physical comedy, but it's the moment when he's hanging on that apparatus that he's mm-hmm. created, and he's sort of, you know, making his way through the grass with his hands. The which, one part, which yeah. part of it is like, if you're going to do it, really do it. Don't just paw at the grass. You're <laughs> going to kill your children. You, <laughs> well, that's well, that's really the make your way through carefully, gingerly through the guy. You could kill them at any second. That's what I mean. It's like they they they. They, they lose the thread of what the real situation would be so much that you you no longer care or you, you yeah. or buy it. He, I mean, he was also trying to kill a bee with a baseball bat. So, yes. You know. no, I wrote that down. I said, I, I, wait, I got to find my note here. I said, the scientist trying to hit a bee with a baseball bat is chef's kiss brilliant. Like the little, like, from the pizza box, like, mwah, perfecto. That is the, the the level that we are playing at here. What did we think of Matt Frewer, a.k.a. Max Headroom? A.k.a. A- 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 Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. So Jim Carrey. Literally, his voice sounds like Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. and his face looks like Jim Carrey. But then his actual... He does a little bit. He's got a Jim Carrey-ish thing, like Absolutely. older Jim Carrey. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like Jim Carrey, t- like 10 years older than... Yeah. And he, But he also has... The physicality and yeah. some of the line delivery and the—I mean, there's a lot there. I put on twenty pounds of pure, unadulterated blitz the quarterback and rip his head off muscle muscle. I don't think Matt Frewer, as and I thought he was—I fi- thought he was the most interesting. Yes, he was character, the most interesting performer in in the movie. I don't think he can do. You know what Jim Carrey to me is almost supernatural. I think you know his his talent and what he can do that physically and and even just that kind of Robin Williams kind of like personalities in a blender thing that he can do. I I, I don't know that I don't know. Maybe Matt Frewer can do all no. those things as well. Hold me closer in. It's getting dark. <laughs> Tell Annie M to let old Yeller out. <laughs> Tell Tony Tim I won't be coming home this Christmas. <laughs> Tell Scarlet I do give it him. <laughs> Pardon me. Jim Carrey is such a superstar and we know his style so well now that going back and watching that and I think it was more just probably a coincidence that they did a similar thing and they sort of look similar but you watch it now and it's very easy to go oh my god he's doing a Jim Carrey but then no this was before it's, Jim Carrey really yeah and it's it's really because if you if you close your eyes he sounds like him too the dog helps them but also equally fucks them over at different times in the movie, I'm like, who sides this dog on? Yeah. Like when, when he's hanging over the the uh, the yard in that apparatus, the oh, dog is right. like, oh, this will be fun, and he basically just you know pulls him around in a circle and makes him dizzy. You remember that part? I was like, apparently there was a dog, and there was a scene that they cut out of the movie where Rick Moranis is working out to uh, Gilad, and the dog <laughs> fucks Rick Moranis's leg, but they cut that out. <laughs> Now, now you've insured 
that I either have to keep both of the Gilad stories in or cut them both. So, which will it be? You'll uh, find out. I see. It's the, mo- it's, it the Gilad story is probably the most interesting thing about this movie. So, keep, I say keep it in. Watch what the fist is doing. I'm a terror. I feel awful. I'm a father. My kids probably, when they were younger, would have liked this movie. Well, I, my know, wife, this is one of her favorite movies of all time. Really? Yeah. Now, now she she grew up with this movie. She grew up loving Rick Moranis. She's mm-hmm. a huge Rick Moranis yeah. fan, and she, and this movie was very very special for her, and brings back a lot of great memories. I mean, talk about nostalgia. Um, she adores this movie, and it's very meaningful to her. So I get it. I get that this is a fun movie for kids. But sure. you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Fred, earlier when you when you said. Give us a, this so eat with a couple of little turns, you know, a couple of little quarter turns on some different moments. This could have easily been a movie that kids and adults could be very into and and both like equally. And that's what I was expecting too. I just kind Me of too. assumed because it was as successful as it was. I, and I remember back at that time they were saying, "Well, it's really the Batman effect. It's really like the, the whole box office that summer. Eighty nine was like the first that that summer broke records you know obviously the records have been shattered many times over ever since but 1989 at the time was the biggest year ever for movies wow. you know indiana jones and the last crusade and batman and lethal weapon 2 and ghostbusters and star God, trek and i mean it was a, a big sequel big summer, summer. Jeez. Mm. when harry met sally i, I mean we talk about things. those movies i'll have what she's having it was kind of like that um you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. So, and that was understood to be like, well, that a movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a little kind of bed knobs and broomsticks or, or Fred McMurray Disney comedy sure. could make, I mean, that's a big deal. In 1989 to make 130 million. It also may have been, big. I mean, there might've been, I, I, I don't remember, but there, I, I wonder how many other movies just for kids there were that were right. coming out back then. There probably weren't that many. Yeah. You know, now, now there's a lot of family there's such product. A glut of yeah. it, but back then, you know, oh my God, a movie that we could take our six year olds to. That's what I mean. It was good counter programming. I think I said that last week. It was yeah. like really smart counter-programming against another bit you know you would think well and i remember when you said any, that i didn't know what you meant i was like what's counter-programming I still just, don't know it, just me well like, like you know I mean, culture to, to, to use really? another to use another <laughs> batman movie as, as as a good example like it, when the dark knight came out mama mia came out the same day that the, the dark knight came out and mama mia was a huge hit and it's not just because it was playing to a different audience that's the counter-programming but but because more people are physically going to the movie theater or talking about going to the movie theater, the, the movie that, the other movie, the, the number two slot winds up doing a hell of a lot better than it would have if it opened against something I weaker see. or something more similar. So, you know, the funny thing is a lot of people, you know, and maybe we're segueing a little bit here, a lot of people expected the fear with Batman was that it was going to be a little too kitty friendly, a little too like the Adam West 1960s series. And that, you know, and everybody knew, everybody was on board. The, the, the marketing had done its job of saying, no, this is different. It's a dark, gritty, right. serious Batman. But I think in, in a different summer or a different type of Batman movie, this would have been terrible counter programming because it would have been two kids movie, quote unquote, true kids movies going head to head but that sure. wasn't the case Let, let's go on i see that the drool is 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 starting it's, at the, it's the starting to collapse in the corners of my mouth favorite i can't wait yeah i mean i yes guys it's batman i have given a name to my pain what are you i'm batman 
Having witnessed his parents' brutal murder as a child, millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton, fights crime in Gotham City disguised as Batman, a costumed hero who strikes fear into the hearts of villains. But when Batman thwarts a heist at a chemical plant, gangster Jack Napier, Jack Nicholson, is grazed by a bullet and falls into a vat of toxic goo that turns his skin bone white. A back alley surgery also leaves him with a carved rictus grin, and the thug goes mad, rechristening himself the Joker and seizing control of Gotham's criminal underworld. Batman must take down this clown prince of crime while protecting his city, his identity, and his girlfriend, photojournalist Vicki Vale, played by Kim Basinger. Director Tim Burton was just 30 years old and had only two features to his credit before making Batman, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, also starring Keaton, whose casting as the caped crusader caused an uproar among the comic book community. Burton hoped to cast an actor like John Glover or Brad Dourif as the Joker, but bigger names like Robin Williams, John Lithgow, and Tim Curry circled the role before the studio's first choice, Jack Nicholson, agreed to sign on. Burton and Nicholson became fast friends, and not only did Nicholson star in Burton's 1996 film Mars Attacks, but Burton credits the superstar for protecting his vision on set and giving him a first-rate education in filmmaking to boot. Batman broke the all-time opening weekend box office record, taking in $40.5 million in its first three days, a record that stood only until Batman Returns beat it in 1992. It was the fastest film to cross the $100 million mark in history, doing so in just 10 days. It made $251.3 million domestically and $411.5 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of? Le Batman. Uh, definitely saw it opening weekend. Definitely really, really enjoyed it. Saw it multiple times since then. I remember that. It, now, you correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, because you are the <laughs> undisputed expert, possibly in the country, possibly in the world. Well, I, as we'll talk about, I wrote a one man show about my love of <laughs> this movie. Of this movie and the, this whole franchise. Now, the first Batman came out the day after my senior prom <laughs> and the day before my high school graduation. So, technically, <laughs> symbolically, that's the end of childhood, right? <laughs> the beginning of adulthood. Although that movie pretty much guaranteed that my childhood wasn't going down without a fight. <laughs> so, so you check me if I'm wrong on this, but it wasn't warmly received by critics. You're right? wrong. It was no, mixed. Know. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was, was mixed. It? Yeah, I mean, it was Where, more po- more positive. It was like two and a half stars. It was somewhere in there. Ebert wasn't crazy about it. There were others. Um, I oh, remember the New York Ebert. Times gave it a. Jesus Christ! New York Lighten Times up, gave it a middling Raj. review, yep. but it, yep. yeah. And I do. Rem- I remember seeing because th- at that time I absorbed 
all the reviews I could, not just because I was into that at that time, but also because this movie in particular, I wanted to read everything I could about it. Uh, Pauline Kael really loved it. Famously, Mm -hmm. she loved it. Uh, Gene Siskel really loved it. Um, It was was kind of a split. I think it was, um, if you look at like, I think Rotten Tomatoes has has like a, it's like got a 75% fresh rating so it's like it's you know more than half gave it positive reviews but there was like you know it wasn't a runaway critical darling by any stretch um and there's a lot of reasons for that i think which i'm sure we'll talk about i think people have warmed to it over time yeah i mean critics and maybe people have given it a second thought or a second look over time i I know that i I think so I, i grew to love it more as I aged, as as I as I moved into my twenties, and then your appreciation for it was so influential on me. Um, I wasn't lukewarm about it. I did like it at the time, and I like I say, I saw it multiple times and cheered at the end, and and you know, but it was dark. I remember thinking at the time as a 15, 16 year old, thinking it was darker than what I liked or expected out of a superhero movie my favorite superhero movie still to this day is superman 2 that that, that's right in my wheelhouse of just enough peril like we were talking about before and just enough charm and silly general would you care to step outside Superman! Superman, thank God. I mean, get him! Come to me, son of Jerome! Kneel before Zod! I like that sort of a mix. I wasn't a comic book kid at all. Still, to this day, do not own a single comic book. So I had, I was totally unaware, not even un- uninterested, unaware of the Dark Knight mm, uh, mm-hmm. comics and all of that and the things that Tim Burton was drawing on was he a big comic book fan tim burton himself no not at all he he goes he goes out of his way to say that he had you know in every interview he's like i'm not i've never was a comic book guy he had watched the tv show a little bit but he wasn't i think he was into it for the visuals you know when he was a kid but not anything else but no he likes the comic book aesthetic but he was not a comic book fan and he says that a lot and i think he did the ones he did read and the ones that did excite him were you know because this is 1989 the Dark Knight Returns, very famous Frank Miller take on Batman, which was which really for the first time gave like since the 30s when he was created, gave him a, a kind of a, a darker milieu, a more a more you know sinister kind of uh, world to play in. Um, that was only that uh, that graphic novel only came out in 1986, and then The Killing Joke, which is a very famous Joker. Uh, comic book that graphic novel only came out in i think 88 so these were all like it was a very it was a very tight window of reinvention for the character and it's interesting that and the intent for this movie was always to go back to the dark roots like that was back when they got the rights to do like this movie was in the making in some you know it was in development since 1979 since the first right after superman about that i was curious it it seems to sort of come out of nowhere because Mm -hmm. superman had sort of run its course, and I don't think there had been many superhero movies before this for a while, right? No, Superman there, there was Four was probably the last thing two years earlier. And I, I was—that's what I was curious yeah. about. When, why, you know? I and, and it just hit me. I oh, probably it was the Frank Miller book that in Killing Joke that maybe made people say, "Oh, this is marketable. Let's get this going." But that's interesting that they were thinking about it in '79. 
Yeah, they were thinking about it then, and then they were like, kind of like trying to follow the template of the original Superman a little bit. In fact, they hired one of the screenwriters, or rather, the creative consultant, Tom Mankiewicz. That was his uh, his title on Superman was creative consultant because even though he really rewrote the script a lot, you know, there was arbitration and whatnot. Anyway, he did a draft of Batman that was like very much in the model of like it was the it was essentially Batman Begins. It was the origin story, like very much like here's. Here's him as a little kid. Here's him right. as a teenager. You know, follows that. Arc. And that never got a lot of traction, that script. Or maybe it did for a little while. I think what's funny is both uh, Joe Dante and Ivan Reitman, right around the time of Gremlins and Ghostbusters, they were both offered it as, like, their next hmm. big project. You know, oh, do, you wow. want to, do you want to do Batman? And they both considered it and then passed on it, like, couldn't get their heads around it. I saw that and, David Cronenberg was offered it, too, at one point. I yeah, think, like. a lot, it went through a lot. Yeah, it went into a lot of hands well, before be Tim Burton. Yeah. And it's so odd that, you know, and like I say, Tim Burton, not not all that proven as a, as a feature film director. No. And what he had done was... Comedy. comedy yeah dark twisted comedy but comedy so it's so interesting that this got made the way it did and i think they literally waited until beetlejuice's opening weekend to see how it did and then you know they had been talking to tim burton they had been thinking about it they were like but we're not going to pull the trigger on this kid until we see how beetlejuice hmm. does you know, it's really beautiful about this. You two kids pick me. You didn't have to, but you picked me. It makes me want to kiss you guys. Come on. Come on. No. Give me one. Ah, ah, you ah, ah. All right. Let's get down to this. You're right. I got a card around here somewhere. Here. Here. Who do I have to kill? Here, hold that for me, would you? There. Whoa. Ah, there, you there you go. You don't have to kill anybody. Ah, possession. God. Learn to throw your voice. Fool your friends. Fun and party. <gasps> No, we just want to get some people out of our house. Ah, I understand, I understand. Well, look, in order to do that, I'm really going to have to get to know you guys. You know, we got to get closer. Move in with you for a while. Get to be real pals, you know what I'm saying? And... <laughs> Save that guy uh, for later. Huh? My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. go ahead, shoot. Well, well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? It's funny, because I sort of had an opposite reaction uh, through the years as you had, Dan, because uh-huh. I saw it opening weekend as well, and I'm... I'm fairly certain I saw it with those like I said the the friends I you know my some some of my older friends and I loved I was a huge fan of uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure I was a really big fan of Beetlejuice um so we were all very excited about this there was you know all the controversy about it about Michael Keaton and yeah. you know it just but and, oh, and, 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 and I heard all these things that it was you know supposed to be really dark and gritty because all, you know all we knew was the Batman of you know, Adam West's Batman. And I grew up watching that, you know, reruns after school. Was Adam uh, West ever approached to do the role? Because I think he would have been great. He no, apparently great. I read he, somewhere that they wanted him to have like a cameo as, um, as he, his dad, right? He, like probably. Crazy? He lobbied to, he wanted to play Batman again. He was in his 60s though. He actually right? did. No, he literally did. And he was very hurt that they didn't ask him. Apparently. You're kidding. No, no, no. It's true. I do know that I'm disappointed not to have had a chance to play Batman. Um, but they have their vision and I have mine. I mean, at the time, it was, it was like this reinvention. You're like, oh my God, this dark, it was, it seemed very dark and gritty and twisted. And as I've watched it over the years, I mean, I hadn't seen it in a long time and then we saw it at your, your <laughs> yes. bat 
bachelor party yes. uh, several Fre- months ago. F- Fred threw my bachelor party, and the bachelor <laughs> party, and you heard a little bit about this with the um, the uh, uh, burlesque dancer who performed as Catwoman for us, but that was in an actual movie theater, the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, and uh, and and Fred arranged for a screening. That's my. That's what a nerd I am. We had a, my bachelor party was a screening of Batman, 1989's Batman. And it's so much, it's so me, not just because I love that movie, but it reminded me, and I never told you this, it reminded me of like a big birthday party I remember having in junior high where I had all these kids over to my house and it was like, and the party was going to be have pizza and watch Superman on, t- you know, well, we had the home video of Superman. Watch that. Yeah, but it was like, but I was like, quiet everybody like you know, it was like it was like <laughs> no one was allowed to nobody see. was allowed no it was like we're gonna watch the movie and everybody's like i've seen this goddamn movie <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. i was like i was like are we gonna respect the fact that the film is on or not so you <laughs> fun everyone so, but this, have but, fun now so throwing me a party where everybody kind of has to like in the dark watch a movie and kind of is you know a captive audience was kind of perfect in some very bizarre way you're crazy (laughs) did you ever heard of the healing power of laughter much like tim burton i think i was turned on by the images by the i like the idea of the joker Mm -hmm. i like the look of batman i don't care that it didn't adapt a particular comic book or that it wasn't faithful to the history. You know, one of these things we'll get into, I'm sure, as we talk about plot, but one of the things that I think was actually a very smart thing for the movie to do as a movie was make Jack Nicholson's character actually turn out to have been the yes. person who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. I agree. I thought that was great. But the, in the comic books, it was always just a not even a gangster it was a a, a thug or a, a robber a, a mugger named joe chill yeah. and he was kind of a faceless character it was just like you know just a common street thug shot his parents and the was joker he played by snoopy at any point wasn't snoopy <laughs> joe chill in his comics joe what cool that's joe cool, cool. cool. using it too. yeah um you know but he's another viable option um <laughs> no but i think you know but so so people were really up in art to this day. They're like, oh, what a what a terrible choice that movie made, like denying the history of the comic book and making the Joker okay. be the cat. But I'm like, actually, it's brilliant. And it's especially brilliant with the casting, because when you decide you're going to have 30-something-year-old Michael Keaton as Batman and 50-year-old or 50-something-year-old Jack Nicholson as the Joker, that age difference right there, it cries out to like have a throwback where it's like, when you were a little kid, I was he was basically a grown man. You ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight? You know, that's where the roads diverge for me. I'm like, I don't really care if it's adapted, if it's particularly faithful to a, a plot line or or a bit of the mythology. I I kind of like I kind of like subversive stuff and messing around with it. I, I I like that reinterpretation. Whatever Tim Burton's kink is, that he's like, I like, like I say, he likes the images, he likes the weirdness, he likes the archness. He really is drawn to a character like the Joker. He's drawn to the the iconography of Batman, the look of it, the dark, heavy, the 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 cape and the wings and all that. I think he likes all that stuff. But he's obviously drawn to the weirder stuff and and. And some of the subversiveness comes in the fact that he kind of denies Batman any, almost any big hero moment. Batman's not in it a lot. And even when he is, he is not like, it's not like a, 
a Rambo or a, a, a Mel Gibson or a Schwarzenegger right. character. Yeah. Even like the scenes, the kind of stand up and cheer scenes, the Batmobile going through the factory and blowing it up and dropping bombs and driving through the, that. When that Batmobile comes out, you would expect Batman's driving it. Batman's not driving it. The car comes out of the factory. The big action scene Right. is absent the hero and you don't know that until the car comes all the way out and then batman's standing there with the little control thing stop. the walkie talkie yeah. saying stop which i thought was hysterical and really kind of in a way it's like it's very clever and it's funny it's a funny joke to think that like batman did all of this and it's like no actually it was just batman's car that's very funny but i think a lot of people at the time were like well that fucking sucks he didn't even he didn't do anything he was just he wasn't even in the car and then the other big scene, even bigger than this, is the fact that he's got that the bat wing, the plane, right? And there's the whole thing, Nicholson at the parade, and it's setting up this big showdown between... Yeah, uh, it's fantastic. But the big showdown between Batman and the Joker, and he's zeroing in on him, and he's in a plane with rockets and missiles, and he's coming right at Nicholson. He reaches into his pants, pulls out a novelty pistol, like a, a, clearly a joke gun. Yeah. And then shoots the plane out of the sky with one bullet. And the yeah. whole plane crashes, is destroyed, and yeah. ba- and the hero... Is- that is darkly calm. I mean, that's funny. It's funny in a movie that does not treat it as funny at all. It treats it dead seriously. And so I think that's a subversion. Come on, you gruesome son of a bitch. Come to me. <laughs> what I find interesting about watching it now is... At the time, it was this, it was dark, it was gritty, it was it was taking a more serious look. And in watching it at your bachelor party and just in, you know, I was watching it earlier today too. And, and it's only because we're comparing it now to what's come after. We're comparing mm-hmm. it to the Nolan movies and the other superhero movies. It does, I remember watching it at the Alamo thinking, oh my God, this, this is so much more akin to the television show Mm-hmm. Than I remember in many it ways. It seems campy now in comparison it's to very, the Nolan ones. Very campy because it is stylized. It's heightened. It's yeah. you know there's that and there is that even if you don't feel like it's as witty or funny or silly as Tim Burton's other movies, it does have that strain running through. Yeah, and even the like which I love. Mm-hmm. And it's fun, but like I noticed, especially you know with the, with um, with the dinner at the museum when she's going to meet Bruce Wayne. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that seemed right. I mean, just even the angles, mm-hmm. like everything in the color palette seemed right out of the television oh, and like, show. And like and like purple gas coming through the vents. That Absolutely. was like something they used to do all the time in the TV I kept show. Kept here, like <laughs> the thing that again at your party and watching it today again that opening shot of Gotham. Like that, I guess I'm assuming it's just like a matte painting. But mm-hmm. That first, it's the, the art direction is so stunning right from the start, um, and just just the visuals of the movie. And I mean, again, you look at it now, it, it's it's hard because we're so used to the dark, gritty, you know, Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. which we we love. Don't like um, them. You don't like them. Oh, hot take. <laughs> oh my god. But but you like yeah. Super Mario Brothers, so. So I'll watch a Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> oh, please don't do this to or me. Or a Monkey Bone any day, or a Judge Dredd over any of those fucking Christian. You, there's movies. no reason for you to be doing a movie podcast of any. <laughs> F those movies. Shit. F Christian. What? Bale. He's very good in Newsies. He's very good in Little Women. That's it. He's good in everything. <laughs> you Incorrect. psychopath. Incorrect. Oh my god. I will. I will say this. Now I love Christian Bale. I think he does a fantastic job in those movies. Um. 
but I and I I will go. And I was having this conversation with my with my kids the other day. They were like, "Well, who's your favorite Batman?" And I still. You should just, we should end it here. Let's bring in somebody else to do this podcast. You're not going to take this seriously. I still, I will still go back to Keaton. I think there's something so, there's something so interesting about him. He's so, he's such an oddball in these two movies. There's, and especially in this one, he's, there's something, there's just something off about him Mm -hmm. um there's something very lonely and he's not used to being with other people um and he he he, he frankly seems crazy he seems you know he seems like there's something that's why he was wrong which and and it's so funny they said there's something in the eyes that's what they always said there was like there's something in his eyes that we don't see because they interviewed all the 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 typical hollywood hunks for this movie and tim burton would be like he would meet with people and be like i just don't see it i don't he's like i need to believe that this guy would go and put on a bat suit at night to go scare people (laughs) i need to think he's a little crazy yeah yeah and you look at a michael keaton and this was probably the reason you know i imagine and correct me if i'm wrong jason that people didn't maybe clamor to go oh michael keaton that's perfect you know is because he's a little bit slight right yeah he is he is you look at him as bruce you know you buy the fact that no one in gotham goes yeah oh, bruce wayne that's batman <laughs> right. you, know what I mean? you buy that wonderful thing the same way you buy oh uh clark kent that's not he's not superman you know one person knows and that's Lois lane right but right. No, nobody else knows or even has an inkling that it might be the same human being. Right, Whereas right. you look at Christian Bale, you have a five-minute conversation with him, you go, oh, you're clearly Batman. <laughs> nice to meet you. I'm Bruce Wayne, philanthropist. Oh, wait. Am I doing the voice? Oh, shit. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm just Bruce Wayne, guys. Um, no, that's. I think that's so true. You know, the, yeah, the thing, the, the knocks against yeah. Keaton were that he was too slight, too short, yeah. Uh, his hairline was receding too much. He didn't have he did, no truly. He didn't have a strong jawline, wow. and and mostly that he was known almost exclusively for doing comedies. My brain is like oatmeal. I yelled at Kenny today for coloring outside the lines. Megan and I are starting to watch the same TV shows, and I'm liking them. I'm losing it. All comedies except for Clean and Sober, which had come out. Oh right. Which had come yeah. out. God. I think I think they had started filming Batman before Clean and Sober had come out, but I think but it was produced by Warner Brothers, and I think Warner Brothers was able to say, "This guy can do," you know, like somebody was able to point to that and be like, "He can kind of go run the gamut for what you're going to need him to do." And Burton, I don't think needed any convincing, and I even think the producer John Peters kind of liked the idea because he kind of liked that Keaton looked crazy. But mm. but for people who needed convincing within the studio that movie told the tale but the general public had no idea it wasn't like oh well he did that one oscar bait thing and i can see him in it nobody had seen that yet so no, it seemed like such a crazy idea i mean i remember at the time i had a rolling stone magazine and i had his picture on the cover i think it might have been him and tim burton actually i can't remember Wait, but do you mean oh, hold on I'm, he's, he's I'm wearing, I'm wearing the i'm wearing the shirt that i had when i saw the movie um <laughs> and i've got right here we'll take pictures of these 
This was the Premier Magazine. From oh, that's it. Premier Magazine, not no, Rolling Stone. No, well, no. This, I had the Premier I, Magazine as well. I think you're talking about this, Fred. Oh, God, Jason here it is. taking magazines mm-hmm. out right now. Rolling Stone? No, that's the one, but it was the Premier Magazine that I remembered seeing. Yeah, baby. Yeah, and, but, but there was, and I remember that it, that was people delving into it, being like, how did this happen? It, it doesn't really make sense. And it surprised everyone. That's and a now bold it's, it's casting choice. Really Still, even if you know choice. that he can do it, yeah. the fact that the the marketplace doesn't see that guy that way, nobody was casting shit that way. You know, nobody was like it, saying... And it believe works. me, you don't know what he can do. You and know. his performance still holds up. It really That's does. The thing. You know his performance does not hold up? Uh, Kim Bassinger's Vicky Vale. Yeah. Is, is, it's not, and, it, and it's not it's not a knock against her. Um, but, you know, we were talking about last week about these great... Uh, you know the heroines in these movies like Lois Lane and Marion and Raiders of the mm-hmm. Lost Ark um, and I just I want and now granted this was the 80s you know that was like a thing that was going on it was like the, the blonde damsel in distress I Kate, guess Kate but, and I were saying that we were watching it the other night and she was like boy they took a real hard turn in the 80s from those spunky brunette heroines yeah. of the late 70s into and I think it started, well, it didn't necessarily start with this, but remember we had spoken about uh, Kate Capshaw in Indiana Jones yes. and the Temple of Doom being this right. very, this blonde, shrieking damsel in distress character oh, yeah, versus Marion so Ravenwood. And, and Kim Basinger does the same kind yeah. of performance. <laughs> that whole scene, which is probably my favorite scene in the movie, the, the scene in Vicki Vale's apartment where Keaton comes. You know how people have different sides to their personality? Mm-hmm. Sometimes a, a, a person will have to actually lead a different life. And then he's trying to explain oh, to yeah. her he's Batman. It's how I start. Nuts. It's how I start my show. I start with that monologue of Keaton doing, trying to tell her he's Batman. And then Nicholson comes in, and the whole. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? All those iconic lines and all those iconic moments are from a scene that kind of just. They just decided there needed to be another scene in the middle where Keaton and Nicholson crossed paths before they got to, like, kind of the big climax. And so they they kind of concocted this scene one afternoon. They kind of banged it out, like, wrote it together. And that's why I think it has a lot of... There's a lot of Keatonisms in it. Now you want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's really more of a Joker movie for so, you know, Batman really, Keaton doesn't really take the forefront. And I don't know if he actually ever takes the forefront in the movie, but it's, uh, no. it's, it's way in. Bat- Batman doesn't take the forefront in a movie until Batman Begins in yeah. 2005, and that's by design. And, and I think even there, even Christopher Nolan really trying to keep an eye on the ball and say, like, this is about him through that whole trilogy. I feel like mm-hmm. the first movie and the third movie are really about him. And even then, as potent as I think the Batman character is in The Dark Knight, you can't, when you have a character like the Joker, that just, you know what I mean? He can't help but upend the movie. If it's done yeah. well, you got somebody like a Heath Ledger or a Jack Nicholson, that kind of a performance is going to run away with it. What happened? Did your, your balls drop off? Hmm? Well, we got to talk about Nicholson, obviously, but I do have a question first. Did, did, now, um, uh, Billy D. Williams plays Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes, right? I was, he doesn't do very mm-hmm. much, but he's there. And Harvey Dent obviously is Two Face. Mm-hmm. Is this supposed to be 
this was supposed to be the setup for him eventually being Two Face in a yeah, future I was movie. Wondering Tim that Burton, as well. Tim Burton wanted him to play Two Face, and and had wow. intended for that to happen down the road, but then he didn't get that far. You know, they he didn't do anything. With, I mean, what's interesting what though? Mean, oh, you mean Burton didn't get that far? Burton with, didn't get that far with the series because he left after right. The movie. But the funny thing is, out of the second movie, you could have had. If you were really building towards that, you would have had Harvey Dent still be a character in Batman Returns and have some sort of, you know, screen he's time. Not, he's not in it at all. The Joel Schumacher Batmans, um, uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, the only actors they keep, the only mainstays are Alfred, Michael Guff, who plays mm-hmm. Alfred the Butler, and Pat Hingle, who plays Commissioner Gordon. They're the only people who travel kind of as characters through all four of those original Batman movies. But otherwise, you know, um, Batman changes, all these other characters, change, you know, the, there, there's nobody else who kind of uh, keeps consistency there. Um, I like that Alfred. He's great. He's a great Alfred. He was very He's good. lovely, right? In all the movies, he's really lovely. Hello. Gotham Cornerstone? Yes, we seem to be down to our last diet soup. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. He was an old Hammer horror film actor. Uh, but, well, yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's- well, I can see that, and, yeah. and I'm sure like a big theater, you know, Shakespearean theater actor and stuff. Sure. And was this? Um, I mean, Danny Elfman had done music for Beetlejuice before, but but uh, was this like one of his first big movies where he did the soundtrack for? He'd done a lot of music before. Like I he said, had I know. Done, yeah, he did was he in Oingo Boingo. He right, did that. I knew he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He did Beetlejuice. He had done Scrooged. And, oh, so um, he'd been doing that. He'd been doing and, and, soundtracks for a while. And you know, and he has a very, he has a really recognizable kind of style to his music. Certainly, Batman, you can still sense certain things that are like echoes of his earlier music. But mm-hmm. it was a big gothic. It was a much different, to- you know, kind of tone and scope. But he had done a movie I know. I think we all love Midnight Run, the Robert De Niro movie. That that Danny soundtrack. Elfman did Midnight Run. Can we also talk about the um the and I forget and we we talked about this at your bachelor party days and I forgot about this and it's it's uh, I think it's I timed it when I watched it last time it's like a, almost a full two minutes that parade scene oh my just god it's like Nichols just the Joker dancing to Prince yeah there's yeah. not a, there's That's not an because, inch of yeah. dialogue <laughs> and no storytelling two, there's no, no storytelling story I took yeah. a note about and for that a I was full like, two really minutes just yeah just. And now, folks, it's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba, 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 money, money, money. Who do you trust? Me? I'm giving away free money. And where is the Batman? He's at home, washing his tights. <laughs> and it's successful in the museum scene. It's fun to, like, turn on the boombox and have, like, Prince music playing in this austere museum when he's defacing the paintings. I thought that was fine. I don't mind yeah. Party Man. I, I like that song. I think that's fun. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. 
I mean, I'll get dragged through the coals for this. I mean, I, I just, and I thought so at the time, and I think now, like, the Prince music just takes me out of it. I don't know. I, just, I find it silly. Well, especially yeah. when you look at the st- the design. You talked about the design before, which is yeah. credited. Anton First is the name of the designer. He won an Oscar. The only yeah, Oscar that Oscar. Batman won right. uh, was for Art Direction. I think it was the only nomination it got. And, uh, and that that is beautiful the 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 buildings the gothic spires the design yeah. of the batmobile that was all him that was all his brainchild and then he sadly he he committed suicide um oh, sometime uh, after the release of the film or maybe before the release but he was not so that's why his design it's not his designs in batman returns or any of the others that the the gotham was redesigned by another production designer Bo welch um but wow. But so Anton first creates this beautiful city, but then also you look at the costumes and everything. It's clearly, there's a very then and now vibe to the whole thing. Like sometimes it feels contemporary and modern and like it was made in the 80s. Like certain things feel like they could only happen, quote unquote, today, meaning 1989, I guess, or whatever. But so much of it looks like the 1940s or even the 1920s like there's a lot of art deco in the design and then a lot of the suits and things look kind of very early 40s um you know and and so there's a there's they've built in a kind of timeless aspect to the movie by having it zip around uh Mm. in terms of the 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 palette and then a song like prince comes on the radio and all of a sudden you're very you know you're very much in you know, the mid to late 80s. Or, yeah. You know, it, it, I think that's part of the issue. There's something incongruous something like about that. it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Jack Nicholson, I mean, I, I remember at that time um, seeing the movie and going, that's not only the best performance of the year, that might be the best, per- one of the best <laughs> performances, if not the best performance I've seen in a very, very long time. And, and you know, I, I was a Nicholson fan to mm. some I had seen, probably seen Terms of Endearment, maybe when it came on to whenever it came on television, um, but I hadn't seen like The Shining. No way at that point, or uh, Five Easy Pieces or anything like that. But um, which I also saw later. But this was, you know, this was like, yeah, give this guy. Was he even nominated for it? I don't think he was. No, right? he wasn't nominated for the Oscar, oh, and so he was. Good. He was the big. A kind of upset in the nominations that year that he didn't get a, a, a best actor Oscar. He was nominated for a BAFTA and he was nominated for the Golden Globe, but he didn't get an Oscar nomination. And I remember, I remember being at Hofstra my first semester or second semester at Hofstra, like getting up at eight in the morning to like watch the nominations. Cause I was like, I was like, Oh my God, Nicholson's going to get nominated for Batman. And, uh, and, and I remember, like the cr- the critics or the pundits talking beforehand about who was expected to be announced, and everybody yeah. was talking about, well, the only lock is Jack Nicholson. He's the only lock, really? and then really? and then he doesn't get it. I'm only laughing on the outside. My smile is just skin deep. If you could see inside, I'm really crying. You might join me for a week. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to the mailbag, shall we? Oh God, yes. We, shall. we just we get let's so make many some letters. with the mailbag. We do. We get so many letters uh, every week. Let me just rifle through the uh, mailbag here. We really we gotta we gotta get our sound okay, effects. We gotta up our sound effects. That sound, I found that's, one here. Sounds so much like a bag of mail. 
<laughs> M-A-L-E. The, uh, let me just pick one at random here. Sheila. From, <laughs> from uh, where has she not been from yet? Olympia, Washington. <laughs> what? It's always been with an S. Has it? I didn't yes. realize that. Are yes. you kidding me? No, it's always Sheila well, from... she's expanding. Sheila well, from okay. Seattle, Washington. Is that nearby Olympia? Does it Probably. need to be? Does it? <laughs> Sheila from Saskatchewan. That's a good S. There we go. Right, and keep all of this in, by the way. How did? Don't even think about. You don't Sheila. know. You don't she, tell me what to do. Sheila from Saskatchewan. You don't. You don't run my life. Says, um, I watched. Uh, I watched. It. Thank you so much for last week's podcast. I hadn't seen History of the World either, Dan. I watched it. <laughs> I don't understand what's funny about the Inquisition scene. Those people are suffering. They're suffering and they're dying. And Mel Brooks is singing and dancing and laughing. Why is that funny? I don't understand it. I still like the podcast and I like all of you. I like you the most, Dan. But I just don't understand why you're laughing so much at torture and and the horrible Spanish Inquisition. Wow. Sheila, she really like, took a turn. She really got spanked. She went dark on us. She went, she went dark. dark on us. And she's a little, I don't think she's all there. I mean, are, you, are, we, are we right about that? I, I, as long as she just keeps, Sheila, Sheila, honey, just go. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Sheila, honey, <laughs> if you could just go, just go to your iTunes, Sheila. That's right. And right. give us five of the stars. You see all those stars there? Sheila, God damn it. Not four, not four, five. Five. So write a nice little review there for us. Yes. And we'll, Don't we'll mention s- the Inquisition, though. Sure. We'll see you in Susquehanna next week. <laughs> <laughs> the phone lines are not ringing this week, um, <laughs> at least not yet. We'll see, we'll see if they start lighting up. Do you remember where you... So did you uh, did ever did all of us see the movie on opening weekend? I mean, I know, I yeah yeah I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, I yeah. did. I'm, I'm fairly certain. It I was did. kind of like you could, at our age at that time. It was kind of like uh, not even a rite of passage. It's just like you kind of had to do. It. Even yeah. if you weren't into it, you kind of like it, it no, was such it was a huge. big thing. And like I said, I was a big. I, I was me and my friends were so into uh, into Pee Wee um, and Beetlejuice, and it was so and and and. At that age, we when we were really like we were saying earlier, we were really discovering our love for movies and 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 actors, and so th- this was a real, this was like a a big event, you know. This mm-hmm. was something that we needed to see right away, and the fact that it was supposed to be so dark and different and twisted, and we all loved Michael Keaton, you know, from Johnny Dangerously oh, yeah. and and uh, right. Night Shift, and it just mm-hmm. everything about it just seem like we have to go we have to check this out we were you know the right age that we could do that so yeah no i'm, I'm fairly certain i was i was there that opening weekend yeah and yeah and you definitely saw it then too dan right oh absolutely yeah 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 and and you know um i think i saw it with with friends and we uh we cheered at the end and and hmm. we, we had a blast but yeah the big takeaway was how great nicholson was and yeah. how you know the other one, and I probably didn't think of this till later, but the other one was, yeah, the Michael Keaton casting, uh, not an issue. Really not. not I know. Problem. He was great, and they were all great. How about Jack Palance? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Terrifying. he was awesome. Off that, the charts. I remember, I remember here, and I can't remember where I, I read this or heard this, 
but it is brilliant. Some people are like, where the hell, where's Jack Palance come in all of a sudden? And it's like, but somebody said, like, look at him in those scenes with Nicholson. When, when Nicholson's in every other scene, Nicholson dominates, right? He's this force yeah. of nature. And he's also, he always feels like the alpha male in a scene. But in that yeah. scene, Jack Palance, not just because of the writing, he's taller, he's sturdier, he's, he's older. Yeah. Yep. His, he's got a weirder, even a weirder voice, even than Jack Nicholson. Like this guy, I mean, everything about him seems like he's the alpha in that scenario. And that's what you needed. That's what you needed to feel like there was an actual threat for Nicholson. And it was, he was know great. What? Those kids in Honey, I Shrank the, Ki- Honey, I Shrank the Kids, <laughs> they needed to come upon a scorpion and Jack Palance. <laughs> that would have that brought the dread. That he, didn't get it. <laughs> he did audition for it. You get a little Jack Palance in that backyard, then that that's counter-programming right there. Your life won't be worth spit! I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. You should think of it as uh, therapy. <laughs> listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack? Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. There were moments where I wasn't sure if I was supposed to laugh mm-hmm. you know, as a kid, as a teenager. And and so what winds up happening is you kind of go, ha, ha, ha. you know, you kind of have like this weird half laugh. It's not like a big belly laugh, like that's hilarious. And it's not like a, Oh, I, clever. You know what I mean? It's not like, ah, I see what they've done there. It's not one of those either. It's sort of in between. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of the, I've always felt like this movie sort of lives in that that in between, uh, on that sort of tightrope between, you know, be- and I feel like Beetlejuice lives there too. Mm. I don't watch Beetlejuice and laugh hilariously. I kind of go, huh, you know, like because it's as weird as it is funny when it's being funny, yeah. and this movie it, it feels that way. It feel, feels like that to me too. So does Nightmare Before Christmas. I know he didn't direct that, but same thing there. Um, you know, so I think that's where that's this guy's that's Burton's wheelhouse in a way. I think is living in that it, living in the in between between you know this is not going to be a huge belly laugh. There aren't going to be that many of them. Um, if there are, they're going to be few and far between, but it's going to be creepy, weird, awkward laughter that you're not going to be really sure about. That's my take on it. People look back very fondly on the original Batman now and Batman Returns in a way they didn't necessarily at, at the time. And I think it's that. I think it's with time and perspective and after having seen how Joel Schumacher kind Ooh. of in a way dropped the ball or went back to the campy 60s aesthetic with his movies and then Christopher Nolan went the uber realistic route and that is not as you said not to everyone's taste like to go back to like a very you know the 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 style of the Tim Burton movies and the oddness of them the the weirdness of them the the odd pathos at work, especially in Batman Returns with the Penguin story and Catwoman story. Everybody's very sad in that movie. It's kind of a sad Christmas movie, Batman Returns. Yeah. And I think there's something about it where the 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 Tim Burtoniness of those movies in the long run, in retrospect, actually does them uh, maybe a greater service than, than people realize. What uh, you call at, a sad Christmas time. movie, I call a joyous Hanukkah film. <laughs> Uh, that's 
where at the end you can turn it up and be like, see, not so great. Christmas, Christmas, not for everyone, is it? Next week, <laughs> next week, we're looking back to June 25th, 1982. We're still in the 80s for another week. And then I think we're going to uh, tiptoe back into the 1990s around 4th of July. But, um, but June 25th, 1982 was a pretty big weekend. It saw the release of Blade Runner. Uh, directed by Ridley mm. Scott, Megaforce, starring I believe Barry yeah, Bostwick, you believe right, maybe. Uh, Monty Python live at the Hollywood Bowl, a movie I have I've never seen, um, and uh, one that I really have grown to love over the years, but would not have gone anywhere near as a child. John Carpenter's oh. The Thing, oh. so good. Anyway, uh, that is next week on opening weekend. Dan, you want to take us out with uh, a little something? Oh, my God. I forgot that we do this every week. You, you forgot, okay. right? We'll do a little Batman. Now I'm in Star Wars. I went to Star Wars. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I was like, it sounded like Batman and then Superman the and then Star Band Wars. Theme Chris song. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up, I ended up going into ba 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 da da. But that's not Batman, right? No, no, that's Star Wars. Star Wars. Batman is you did and then you went and then you went somewhere else (laughs) just like we have to we're gonna go now everybody see you next week on opening weekend the opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell Fred Berman and Dan Matisa with help from Ethan Duff Thank you for listening. Isn't it Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves? It's Isn't that the sequel? Oh, I think it's, I thought it was Honey, I Blew Up the I Kid. I Blew Up the honey, Kid. Honey, I Blew yeah. Up the Kid, which sounds <laughs> worse. It sounds a hundred times worse. If you say it the way I say it, Honey, uh, sit down. I, um, all right, I have something to tell you about the kid. Um, I, is Michael Keaton? What if, what if, do I it as Michael blew, Keaton now. Yeah. They do it as Michael honey, Keaton. Hey, honey. See? There's something that I have, I have to talk to you. Could you just? It's yeah. Well, it is about it's about the kid. Definitely, it's about the kid. See, I kind of blew him. Oh, I blew him. Up. Did you not? I'm sorry. Sometimes I pause too long in between the words, and it gives a false impression. No, I absolutely. Do. I mean, you know. No, I didn't. What am I even? Why did I stop myself there? No, I should clarify. Absolutely did not blow our child. <laughs> <laughs>